Tappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. What a weekend it was for sports. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I hope you had a great weekend, whether it was here in Milwaukee or anywhere else where you are listening. Got a great show today. We are talking about a lot of things. Why we are owed answers for Giannis's knee injury. Uh, we'll also talk about the Bucks kind of uneven weekend and what we have looking forward. The why I thought the Brewers made a statement this week. Aaron Rodgers and where the Packers are right now with his contract. I thought the Rob Domofsky uh, deep dive was pretty interesting over the weekend. We And then we'll end with Hideki Matsuyama winning the Masters and how it came out of complete nowhere and why it's, that just makes sports and major events like this awesome every time out. But we start with Giannis Antetokounmpo. So Giannis Antetokounmpo did not play tonight. The Bucks absolutely shit-pumped the Orlando Magic. Uh, Jim Orszowski, who is a beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, was tweet- tweeted out earlier in the game, was like, I can see why the Magic have the record that they do. This was actually a pretty easy Sunday for a lot of us tappers who have significant others where we basically turned on the game. We are like, all right, this is a blowout. We don't have to worry about this. We already subjected our wife or our girlfriend or our boyfriend, whatever, to a lot of Masters coverage over the weekend. We can watch something else. We don't have to necessarily worry about this. The Bucks were dominant, um, not surprising. Orlando's not, not that good. So it's not surprising that maybe the Bucks were like, hey, we're going to give Giannis another night off. But this knee injury thing has now been four straight days. Giannis has not played for about a week now. Um, he last played against Portland for two Fridays ago. So it's been over a week. We are prob- we're almost at the 10-day mark. And yet we still don't know what this injury is. All we know is that it's knee soreness. That is all we've been told. It's That is the only thing we've got out of the Bucks. And the Bucks don't have a timetable. They have nothing. And I know... Journalists like Eric Name are trying, and they ask Mike Budenholzer these questions. But if Milwaukee was a larger market, we would get these answers. If the Bucks were more important in this city, we would get more answers. Do you really think? Now, I understand that this is it's different because it's football to basketball, and there are less games. But do you really think that we would not get an answer about what Aaron Rodgers' knee was? If like this was happening with the Packers, there's no fucking chance. Everybody would be breathing down Matt LaFleur's throat. They would want to talk to Aaron Rodgers. Giannis has not met with the media, I don't think, since that Friday game. So we don't even know from Giannis himself what's going on with that knee injury. And the Bucks are keeping it very close to the vest. Now, I don't think that that is fair with you know, we should know. We need to know what's going on. And even if they are keeping it safe, even if they are like, look, we've learned throughout the last couple of years that Giannis, right around this time of the year, he has a lot of bumps and bruises. We are taking some time off with him and we are just chalking it up to knee soreness. And we're keeping it very vague and we're keeping it kind of close to the vest. And we're also learning how these guys are playing without Giannis so we can kind of have that rotation playoff ready. We are about a month away from the playoffs. We're a little bit over a month away from the playoffs. And yet we don't really know what this knee thing is. And I think it could be this. Like I think I could be overreacting that it could just be like a situation where Giannis Antetokounmpo is dealing with 
just overall soreness. And they are basically kind of keeping him on ice because they really don't need him to play in these games. They didn't need him to play tonight, obviously. They blew out Orlando. They rested almost everybody against Charlotte, which fine, right? They were basically playing, I think, their fifth game in seven nights. They were returning home for one game. It's like they should have just sent the whole team to fucking Orlando in the first place. And they looked great. I mean, everybody looked refreshed. And they didn't really play that much against Orlando either. So now you have Minnesota who, Minnesota's been playing better. You have that on Wednesday. So you have a couple days off now to kind of rest easy. I would imagine they'd go home for a couple days just to kind of reprieve. And then you have Atlanta on on Thursdays in a, in a back-to-back situation. It is on primetime, but I, I think that's where Giannis would come back. I think Giannis is going to come back on Thursday and get ready to go. They have a game against Phoenix next Monday, which could be a potential final matchup. So I think you'd want Giannis on the court for that if he's ready to go. And then you have two games against Philadelphia. So you could say that the buck, the meat of the buck schedule, this last final push for the Bucks, is starting after Minnesota. That after that Minnesota game, the Bucks kind of schedule gets a little difficult. I know there, there might be another game I'm missing in there, but the the schedule gets much harder for Milwaukee versus what we have right now, and it, it it's just that's probably what's going on. That's probably what what we're seeing here. But I still think it's pretty ridiculous that the Bucks aren't at least giving some sort of timetable. That they're just sort of toying around and that we're all okay with it. That we're all okay with not knowing what's going on with Giannis. And I don't demand answers at all times, but it's a little weird that we have yet to get any sort of answer on when he's going to be back. That they're just like, no, we don't have a timetable. And they're not even like giving like a... Well, we got to evaluate it day by day. He's just saying no. Mike Boonholzer has enough cachet with the media, and the media doesn't press him hard enough. And that, and so, it, but it's just frustrating. And I think it's a, also a note to the media here in Milwaukee that they're not doing their job. They're just not working hard enough. And I know they do. They do good stuff. Like I'm not trying to burn a bridge here, but they aren't just pushing harder and harder to find out what's going on. How do we not have somebody who's inside the organization saying, yeah, Giannis is basically taking a vacation almost and kind of getting a two-week break before the meat of this season happens because they have four games against Brooklyn and Philly combined in the final month of the season that if the Bucks win out those games, they could end up being the one seed. So those games matter so much more and they'll basically be different two-game playoffs where they're going to hold a lot of weight and the Bucks are going to learn a lot about their team in those games and they want to be fully healthy for them. So maybe that's the what's going on here. But I think every one of us would like to know that. I don't think we want to kind of be held in the dark and want to be kind of just sort of shuttered back, be like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. Like, Giannis is all right. Like, this isn't a big deal. And it's like, guys, you you just can't do this with your star player. And I, I just think the Bucks owe us answers. It's a bummer that we're not getting them. And it's a bummer that our media is not trying to dig deeper here and try to find, and they're just perfectly content with the Bucks telling them, oh yeah, we don't have a timetable. And then we report out on that. 
Like, come on, guys. Like, do a little bit harder research. Like, talk to some people. See if this is serious. Like, yeah, sources close to me say this isn't serious, right? Like, how is there not, like, a Brian Windhorst, right, that has sort of the inside inside track with Giannis? There, there isn't that person. And I thought Name was kind of that guy, but apparently he's not. And we just need to do more. And it's, it's a shame that we don't have more information on this knee injury. Again, the Bucks have played a lot of the lesser parts of the NBA in the last few weeks. These aren't good teams that they're facing off against. They're playing teams. They're non-playoff teams. And so maybe these games don't matter. And I, I, I can understand that. But I also, I also think that it's unfair to the fans to not at least know what's going on with the Greek freak. I don't know if I have any other real Bucks news for you guys besides I thought that just the being able to beat the shit out of Orlando is is a really nice thing. I think after you lose three straight, and not that it was a big deal, the Friday, the Thursday game against Dallas was annoying just because Dallas is an annoying team, and Luca complains like a European soccer star, and it's terrible. And I, I don't know how people can like like Luca. I I really don't. I I don't really enjoy him complaining about every fucking call. I I love his game. I think his game is really fun to watch, but. Watching him on the court, excuse me, is not fun. It's not fun at all. And the Mavericks got away with a lot, and I just think that was the Bucks on a six-game road trip run out of gas in the fourth quarter. I admired the effort, but they yeah, they ran out of gas there. They took out the starters against Charlotte, so then, yeah, you lose three straight. You probably shouldn't have lost to Golden State. And then you get a half game back against you know Brooklyn and Philly, who were both off tonight. So now you're three games back from the one seed. You're in an okay spot, and we'll see what happens there. And just got to keep winning, keep grinding. And I'm not not too worried right now about the Bucks. I would say I'm I'm kind of like a one or two. The Giannis knee thing, I don't think I start worrying about it until Atlanta. If he's still out, and that's down two weeks, then I think it's really it's really a problem. And then someone needs to do some digging. But because we're not in a flyover, I don't want to be repetitive. But it's it would this wouldn't happen with LeBron. Let's just put it that way. I I'm a little annoyed. All right, let's talk about the Brewers. So the Milwaukee Brewers made a statement this week, I thought. I think what the Brewers did against St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs, both on the road, going 4-2, and two, I think means a lot. I think that carries a lot of weight. I think the Brewers are near the top of the NL Central. I'm not really worried about divisional standings at this point of the season. I They're meaningless. But I think what the Brewers did against the Cardinals the last two games was awesome. To see this offense sort of come to life after being dormant for about a week, week and a half. And I told you guys on this on Tapping the Keg on Thursday, I was like, look, if you're watching these games, and I hate to be that fan, but if you're watching these games, the Brewers are making hard contact. It just needs to fall. And once it starts falling, this offense is going to start looking better. And the last couple games have been just this eye-opening experience. And the Brewers are starting to really sting the ball and really pull the, push the ball all over the field. And Avisail Garcia is on a complete heater. He has home runs on Saturday and Sunday. Travis Shaw hit another home run, a massive shot on Sunday. Now, he did get banged up. I think they just probably pulled him out of that game because they were up, I think, 7-1 at that time. And Shaw hit one off his ankle. And I was like, ah, do we really need him? Manny Pena got into the action. Um, he hit a home run. I think he had a couple other hits too. So the, the Brewers went 9-3. to They put up 
19 runs in the last two games against St. Louis. Um, really impressive stuff from Milwaukee and just really got the bats going. And so now you took two out of three against Cardinals, you took two out of three against the Cubs. That that means a lot, even though it's early April, even though it's the first road trip of the year. To be able to go into Wrigley, to be able to go into Bush Stadium and win two series matters. I think that's important. And look, I, the Brewers could have easily swept the Cardinals. If it's not for Daniel Robinson having a just complete fuck up, um, Daniel Robertson, it's not Robinson. Uh, Mitch Mitch gave me a hard time about that in a text. He called him, oh, that Chuck's boy, Daniel Robinson, the Admiral. Uh, we might just have to start calling him the Admiral, just and it'll be like a joke between all of us. So the Admiral had a play. He if he goes and gets the easy out, I think the Brewers might win that game one nothing. Um, and Drew Rasmussen, I mean, terrible pitch to Nolan Arenado. Uh, Drew Rasmussen, I don't know where kind of he's his trajectory. He needs another pitch, and it, the fastball stuff against good guys is not going to work. And so, yeah, Arenado got his moment. Everyone sucked his dick, you know, whatever. But but then the rest of the weekend was all about the Brewers. And the offense came to life. And Adrian Hauser was really good on Saturday afternoon. He had that ground ball pitch working. Brett Anderson was pretty good today. The Brewers starters through this round rotation on the road had an ERA of .32. They were dominant. Corbin Burns was great. Freddie Peralta was excellent, who we'll see tonight against Chicago. So now you got to play the Cubs again. And so if you can, and the Cubs did not look good. They lose two out of three against the Pirates. They got blown out. Bad pitching uh, both on Sunday and Saturday from Chicago. So there is some opportunity here. And there's some opportunity for the Brewers to kind of, early statements. This is, it's an early statement that they were able to take four out of six from Chicago and St. Louis. And I, I'm i pretty impressed. And Corbin Burns, man, what more can you say? He is off to such a good start for the season. And he is looking like a Cy Young candidate. Now, the Brewers do need to work on getting him run support. It's kind of a, the Jacob deGrom of the Midwest, right? deGrom had that problem over the weekend where the Marlins uh, beat the Mets basically because... They got one across. I think they hit a home run against DeGrom in the second inning, and that was all they needed. And the bullpen then gives up two more runs, but DeGrom ended up only allowing that hit, and he had 14 strikeouts, and yet he could not get a run across in his own right. So Corbin Burns, you know, that's what he's going through himself, and the Brewers are going to need to work on that. The Brewers are going to need to figure out with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, how do we make sure the bats kind of stay stay hot, right? And I don't know if it was the Adrian Hauser or it was just they, they made good contact because they're facing lesser pitchers, right? They're not facing the aces. When you're facing court, especially early in the season, you tend to also get their ace as well. Um, I think we're going to get Woodruff and Hendricks again uh, Tuesday night. So it's like when you see their ace on the other side... That, that does create a problem. I mean, Burns had Wainwright, but Wainwright, Wainwright didn't really pitch that well. I mean, they had a bunch of runners on. They just couldn't drive anyone home. And I know this happens a lot with aces, right? Like we saw it even today uh, with the Nationals and Dodgers with Kershaw and Scherzer. There's only four runs, I think, in total in that game. Again, it's like you 
you kind of act differently when your ace is on the mound. You just you kind of push the break, and you got to go full steam ahead. And it, it's not like they need a ton of run support either. They just need you to push across a couple runs, and hopefully the Brewers can do that. Now, Keston Hero, what an interesting sort of day on Saturday as well, if we're going kind of emptying out the notebook here. He hits a three-run homer. He also had a two-run error that was brutal. So he was up 3-2 on aggregate. Um, but Kest, I was surprised they took they did not play Hira on Sunday. Um, but I think De Leon had bad splits against left-handers, which we saw Vogelbach obviously had a RBI single in Hira's spot, and we saw Shaw hit that home run. So maybe that's why. But yeah, it was weird to see Hira get the day off after he made a hard contact for all four at-bats. Only two of them ended up being... Uh, one was a base hit, one was a home run, then they were two loud outs. So hopefully here I can kind of keep that going against Chicago. I think that's definitely something to watch for when you when you watch Brewers-Cubs this week is to see if Keston here can kind of keep it rolling. Also, obviously, you know, Garcia's been hot. Lorenzo Cain stayed hot. Um, I It's just really nice to see, like, the offense come alive and start start really sort of showing their muscles, if you will. And that's the kind of stuff that I think we expected at the start of this season. Now, Shaw, like we said, had the ankle thing. Christian Yelich also left the game with back stiffness. Christian Yelich has had back problems before. Craig Council didn't make it seem like these guys couldn't play on Sunday. So it could have been, hey, Yelich, do you just want do you want some time off? We'll just call it back stiffness. You're fine. And he's like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to just hang out for the rest of the afternoon. Maybe it's a little more serious than that. I would imagine that it's at least one game off. The Brewers probably go out tomorrow. And they're facing a lefty, too. It's Alizé, the guy they beat up uh, last Tuesday night. So I, I would imagine that you'll get a lineup with featuring Garcia, Jackie Bradley Jr., and uh, Lorenzo Cain. So I had, that's kind of, I think that'll be your outfield. You'll give Yelich the day off, and then you'll put Robertson, the Admiral, at third base probably uh, for Travis Shaw. So that's probably what the lineup will look like, if I had to guess. Uh, Jace Peterson, oh yeah, Keston Keston Wong. Uh, Colton Wong, there we go. Colton Wong got went on the DL um, as well. Not great, not exactly what you want, especially Jace Peterson as your full-time second baseman. And I, I think if Keston Hero was a little more comfortable at first, where it was like, can we can we push you back to second and then put Vogelbach there? Because I think the optimal Brewer lineup would be having Hero and Vogelbach in the lineup. But I think you lose so much defensively. So right now it's Jace Peterson. They did sign D Gordon. Um, D Gordon is still going through COVID protocols. So I would imagine that D Gordon's going to get a shot at playing second base after that sort of goes however long that takes. I think the protocol is a couple couple weeks or a couple days, excuse me. But Gordon might also need to get warmed up. He didn't have a spring training. So I don't know if you can just insert D. Gordon right into the lineup. But kind of a sneaky ad from the Brewers. I don't know if D. Gordon can do much, but he definitely could be a guy off your bench that's just going to give you some speed, maybe give you a little bit of hitting. I'm okay with it. I'm all right with the ad. I think he might have played with, he definitely played with Yelich. So there's that relationship. But I think Andy Haynes might have been his hitting coach too. So there's some relationships there. I'm I'm excited. I don't know if that'll it'll lead to anything, but who knows? So I, I'm, I'm all right with it. Whatever. You know, keep adding guys. Keep making stuff happen. But yeah, Jace Peterson, um, the Jace Peterson 
uh, Luis Urias. I, I I struggle with his name too. Luis Urias. Uh, and I, I was listening to the broadcast. I was listening to Bill and Bill and Brian talk talk about Luis, and I was trying to say his name with them. So Luis Urias. Um, yeah, I think I fucked that up again. But anyways, him and Jace Peterson at the bottom of the order is bad. That's like you're. That's just two outs easy. So that that does suck. Um, but hopefully Wong's oblique thing is not a long lasting one. Those obliques, man, can can be six week injuries. So let's hope it's not. Let's hope it's just a quick ten or fifteen or whatever it may be, and then he's back on on the Brewers. So we'll have Brewers Cubs this week. Um, we'll talk a lot about that. Sorry, this was a little all over the place. I, I realized that. I'm like, ah, kind of just rambling. I guess we can call this Brewers make a statement with my rambles. Um, but we'll try to be a little more condensed uh, next time around. Let's talk Aaron Rodgers' contract, shall we? So Aaron Rodgers and his contract have been a longstanding, I wouldn't say debate, longstanding thing in this NFL offseason. And some... Rob Domofsky did this great piece over the weekend, which I recommend you guys read it if you haven't, where he basically talked to a bunch of anonymous sources, but they were like agents. One was an agent, one was a front office guy, one was a assistant coach, and they were all granted anonymity so they could talk freely about this. So they didn't have to put their name on it, and they were granted that freedom. And I don't always like anonymous source, source stuff, but I think this is a situation where you know what these people are. It's not just sources close to me. It's not like a barber. It's not like we're talking to the guy that Rogers hangs out with at Newski's Meats, right? Like this is not just, it's not that. It's, these are actual people in the NFL. And the the agent said, which I, agents always love to talk. And they're like, we, we had a deal. They called about one of my guys and they just don't have money right now. And that Aaron Rodgers' contract is holding up the rest of free agency. Now, again, this is an agent. This is not Aaron Rodgers' agent. This is another agent trying to help his guys. So let's let's also clarify that. Like, he's trying to get his guy paid. Now, his guy might also have a deal with somebody else now. But he's trying to get his dudes paid. And that's what agents are always looking out for agents. They're always looking out for themselves. So I'm not surprised at this comment, but I also don't think this is a headline grab. I think it's more about what might happen in the NFL draft. I've said to you guys last week when we did the Rodgers topic, which you can go back and listen to, I was like, look, I don't think Brian Gunacus gives a fuck about this contract right now. I think all he cares about is pro days, building his board, and seeing where it goes from there. And I also think with how much draft capital Green Bay has, and also having a guy like Jordan Love to their disposal. And Jordan Love, if he would have stayed a year at Utah State, or he would have said, let's say he entered the transfer portal like a Jabril Cox and would have went to, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a team. Maybe like Mississippi State, right? KJ Costello, not a bad example. But anyways, if, if Jordan Love would have went somewhere or even stayed at Utah State, I think Jordan Love is in the mix with everybody else. I think he is talked about among... The, you know, he's in that group of five. Like, I don't think he's part of like the Callan Mon, Callan Trask, or uh, Kyle Trask tier. I think he's in the mix there. So I could see Brian Gunacuz saying to one of these teams, maybe like a Washington football team, for example, saying, Hey, Washington, we want to move up in this draft. We have Jordan Love, and you guys need a quarterback. 
what about if we give you Jordan Love and maybe throw in a fifth-round pick and let us move up to 18 so we can draft either a wide receiver or a corner or whatever? Or Micah Parsons, maybe, if he falls. And let, let us do that. Do you think Washington would go for that? I think they would. Because they're like, oh, we're going to miss out on all five of these guys. And because our team was happened to be the best team in the NFC East, which is like, so it's, they're kind of like on the short end of the stick. Like they're like, we could be drafting where the Giants are. Think about this. Washington could easily be at the 11th spot. If they're at the 11th spot, they're probably going to get a quarterback or they have the, the spot to move. Like they could talk to Atlanta and be like, hey, Atlanta. But because they made the playoffs, they're 18th, which sucks. So Washington could look at a, a Jordan Love opportunity and be like, oh my God, like we could get a quarterback who, yeah, a little unproven, but we really, the Packers really like him. And they just, you know, the Aaron Rodgers thing kind of snuck up on him and they're able to deal him. And so that could be what, why they're waiting on this deal. And the other thing that people are just like forgetting is that there are going to be a lot of guys available after June 1st. June 1st is going to be a bloodletting again. It's going to be Massacre Week as Pat McAfee did did before the free agency started. Like It is going to be a lot of guys looking for jobs. And the Packers will hopefully have Rodgers deal done by then. And they're going to open it up with open arms. So I'm not convinced that this is like... People act like they need to have everything figured out right away. And it's like, look, the, it's obvious if anyone's paying attention... That I, and I don't know how many times I got to do this shit because I, I feel like I do this all the time. I feel like I have to explain everything the Packers do because motherfuckers just don't understand. And you have Mike Florio who like gets off on this. Like I, I swear it's his porn. Like this is what he does. Like this is his OnlyFans. Like he, he any Aaron Rodgers story that he gets, he's like, oh my God, here we go. Like fire it up. But the fact of the matter is the Green Bay Packers... The goal of the first half of this offseason was simple. Resign all our guys. Bring back everybody that we can. Yeah, we're going to lose Corey Lindsley. He's too expensive for us. But other than that, we're going to bring everybody back. Because Aaron told us that we... that he, Well, not that Aaron told us, but Aaron acted like we wouldn't do it. Guess what? We want to bring everybody back. And then we're going to do the draft. We're going to keep adding... We're going to find positions of need. You might have heard me say that on the draft manifesto. But we're going to find whatever we need, whether it's an offensive lineman, interior defensive lineman to go along with Kenny Clark, a linebacker, a corner, a wide receiver. And we're going to like look through the hundreds of draft uh, mocks that Murph has sent us. And we're going to get our we're going to get our guys. We're going to make our make our deals and we're going to make it happen. And then phase three, we're going to get Aaron Rodgers a new contract and we're going to figure this thing out and we're going to navigate how we handle Jordan Love and whether Jordan Love's going to be on the block next year. We'll figure that out. We'll worry about that later, but we're going to give Aaron Rodgers his new deal and we're going to extend it out a little bit further and also ask Rodgers, hey, we're going to pay you money, but we want to know, what do you think? Do you think you're going to play till you're 40? Do you think you're going to play till you're 39? Are you pretty much set that you only have a couple more years left? Like, where are we going here? Because let me tell you, guy just got, he's going to get married here soon. He might want to start a new chapter of his life. A lot of the Jeopardy stuff, and I know I kind of touched on it last week, 
But a lot of the Jeopardy stuff gave me vibes of a guy who's kind of ready to go to a next phase of his life. And that next phase still could have football in it, right? But it is definitely going to be a lot more about family than it ever was for Rodgers because he has a wife. And I would assume they're going to try to have a kid because why not, right? That's what you do usually when you get married. You try to have a kid sooner rather than later. And I'm sure that's that's probably coming down the pipeline for him. So who knows, right? Who knows? Maybe it's maybe it's not. Or because he has a kid, maybe he wants to show that kid, hey, look what dad did. One time, once upon a time, your dad won a Super Bowl. So I, I don't know. I, I I don't have that answer. But I think this idea that everything needs to happen right away is just the short-sighted nature of the NFL and the NFL fan where it's like, it has to be done immediately. It doesn't. It's a long fucking offseason. We have a long way to go before kickoff. We are what? At least, I don't know when the first game will be, but we're, we're five months away. We haven't even got to the NFL draft. The NFL draft is in two weeks. Two weeks Thursday. That's when the NFL draft is. The NFL season itself will not start until September 12th. If the Packers play on a Thursday night, September 9th. But I I don't know. I don't think so. They can't, Oh, they don't have Tampa Bay. Yeah, they won't play. They won't be on Thursday night. I don't know who Tampa Bay will play on Thursday night. I always like doing that. Talk about a nerdy thing I do. I always love like finding out who the team is that is going to be playing on Thursday night. Should we do it real quick? We got to get to the decky. But let's, let's look at Tampa Bay's schedule. But yeah, thank God the Packers are playing the Bucks next year. Am I right? I'm right. Oh, they'll play the Cowboys. <laughs> I'll lock it in. They're playing the Cowboys um, at home uh, in 2021. They'll open the season with the Cowboys or maybe the New Look Saints because Drew Brees isn't there. I could also see Miami. A little Tua action maybe. Probably not the Bears. Uh, Panthers, No. Bills, uh, maybe Bills Bucks. You get Josh Allen versus Tom Brady start the year off. Giants Bucks, little the Eli, the always the 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 helmet catch, yada yada. Yeah, some good ones there. Bucks Patriots this year though in Foxborough. Holy shit, that is going to be a game. Talk about one that will be on the prime time of prime times. Let me tell you. But yeah, that'll be your third. One of those those options are there for Thursday night. All right, let's move to Hideki Matsuyama. Hideki Matsuyama is your Masters champion. I don't think anyone expected that when thinking through guys who could win it. Partly because two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, there was a report that came out that said Hideki kind of changed the way he was putting the ball. And he did that right before the match play. He was testing out, I think he was testing out new putters the week of match play. And everyone kind of gave some pause and was like, well, what the fuck are you doing here? This is like right before a tournament. Why are you trying to change what you're doing putting-wise? And also, by the way, this little thing called the Masters is coming up in a few weeks. Yet, it did not matter. On Saturday afternoon, Hideki had an out-of-body experience. Something that I don't think a lot of us have seen. I think that's Sunday back nine, or Saturday back nine was one of the more impressive like moments in golf that I can remember where a guy was just so dialed in 
everything was looking like it was going to fall. He could not miss. And he had built himself a four-stroke lead, which was enough cushion so that if he did kind of collapse and he had a hiccup, he had that lemon booty moment and where he goes into the water on 15th, still he had enough breathing room to have a bogey on the 18th and still win the Masters. And he had helped Xander Shoffley continue to puke on his shoes in a big moment. And he's just not there yet. Yes, he's top five in, I think, every major uh, at this point. He's just not there. And there is something about him on Sundays that he needs to figure out. He needs to figure out how to not let that moment kind of get at him. Because it's really looking similar to Tony Finau. He's better than Tony Finau. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a really good golfer. But there's something kind of bothering Shoffley. So how do we miss Matsuyama? Matsuyama hadn't really been in Masters contention. Some people think Matt, the Masters are one of the easiest uh, tournaments to handicap because it's the same course every year. It's usually the same guys that are hovering around the top. And yet Hideki had not been in the top five for three years. 2017 was the last, or four years, yeah. 2017 was the last time Hideki was in the top five. So he hadn't really been in the mix. And yet he comes through and wins this tournament. And he wins the first one for Japan. It's the first Asian Masters win. Now, Yi Yang, I think there was another one too, had already won. So I think this is the third for Asia overall. But this is a massive international statement. We talked about the statement with the Brewers. that This is a bigger one. This is for an entire country. And he had the weight of Japan on his shoulders. And it did not matter. And he won it. And got the green jacket. It's incredible. And it's a major breakthrough for him. A guy that a lot of people thought could do this. But he never seemed like he had the mental fortitude to put it together. Because of that pressure of Japan. And now Hideki got it done. And Hideki's a major winner. He's a major winner before John Rahm, right? John Rahm's still without a major. Now made a very impressive run on Sunday. And I think John Rahm would tell you, I wish I could have done that on Saturday. And then maybe I would have got a shot on Sunday. He has as many majors as Justin Thomas. He's he's in a good spot, man. And he, it's it would be would not be wise to think this is Hideki's only major. I think there's real opportunity he could make some other stuff happen. I think PGA course, PGA championship courses give him an opportunity. He doesn't really seem like a U.S. Open winner. Um, just, I don't know, does not have, I think, he scrambles well. That's the thing. Like, he, he does really well in terms of getting it close. So maybe there is some U.S. Open to him. I, I have a trouble seeing him at the Open, but I do think the Masters and the PGA are, there are opportunities there for him. And I would not be surprised if he's involved at Kawa, Kawai. I don't even know how to say it. Kawa, uh, South Carolina. Pronunciation, bad pronunciation podcast for me. But anyways, he's, that's where the PGA is next May, which is in a month, which is so fun. Like PG, the PGA Championship being in May is like great and, and not great at the same time. I liked it in August. 
But the fact that now we get four straight months of majors is really fucking fun. That we don't have to wait two months before getting the U.S. Open. We get the PGA in the middle of May. Then we get the U.S. Open in the middle of middle of June. And then we get the Open Championship in in the end of or in the middle of July. And then we're done with majors, which kind of sucks. And then it goes into like the FedEx Cup and all that stuff. But it's it, it is a good time. And I think we're you know it's going to be a good tournament. And it's it's kind of crazy that we had a decent Masters. Some people called it boring uh, because of just no, no, no Dustin Johnson, no Brooks Kepka, no Rory McIlroy. I get it, right? Like all those guys would have made it a lot more fun. But at the same time, it was, it was a good time, and we saw some guys break through, like Matsuyama. Will Zalatoris, I think, is going to be involved in a lot of majors going forward. Shoffley, obviously, has been in the mix before. I think you'll see him again a lot. And obviously, you know, John Rahm is going to be banging down that door. Corey Connors was an interesting one. He fell apart on Sunday. But is Corey Connors a guy who we're going to see? Oh, Jordan Spieth, too. Like, if Jordan Spieth doesn't have the awful start, he would have been right there with Shoffley and Matsuyama at the end. But he had an awful start to his Sunday. And that kind of, he'll he'll definitely regret that as he thinks through it. Spieth is a definite contender for the PGA in May, though. I really like that as, as sort of, to me, the favorite. But they go to the RBC Heritage next. Um, actually, really good field for the day, the week after the Masters. So I'm kind of excited for that. And definitely worth, worth to keep watching. So hopefully we get a good tournament there. I look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow. We'll do some Brewers Cubs. We'll see what else uh, comes our way. Maybe we'll get some Giannis knee, knee news. Who knows? All right, guys. Take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. We'll talk tomorrow. All right. See you. Bye.